King Murphy was sitting in the assembly of great sages and other important personalities, listening to the words of Sukadev Goswami. According to Sri Vishwanath Chakravarti, as Sukadev began speaking of the Gopi's conjugal love for Krishna, the king noticed the expressions on the faces of some of the more materialistic persons present there and realized the doubt working in their hearts. So what was he doing? He was paying attention, right? And he was paying attention to the body language. Therefore, although the king thoroughly knew the purport of Sukhadev's words, he presented himself as experiencing personal doubt so he could eradicate the doubt of others. That is why he asked this question. Okay, I want to look at... Um, Shilpapa's explanation in Krishna book. Marsh Reddick heard Sukadeva Goswami explain the situation of the gopis who assembled with Krishna in the Rasamis. When he heard that some of the gopis, simply by concentrating on Krishna as their common work, became free from all contamination of material birth and death, he said, quote, the gopis did not know that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. They accepted him as a beautiful boy and considered him to be their convert. So how is it possible for them to get free from the material condition just by thinking of a convert? One should consider here that Krishna and ordinary living beings are qualitatively one. The ordinary living beings being part and parcel of Krishna are also one. Krishna is a supreme Parabrahman. The question is, if it is possible for a devotee to get free from the material, contaminated stage simply by thinking of Krishna, then why should this not be possible for others who are also thinking of someone? If one is thinking of a husband or son, or if anyone at all is thinking of another living entity, then, since all living entities are also Brahman, why are all those who thus think of others not free from the contaminated stage of material nature? This is a very intelligent question, because there are always atheists imitating Krishna. In these days of Kali Yuga, there are many rascals who think themselves to be as good as Krishna and who keep people into believing that thinking of them is as good as thinking of Lord Krishna. Parishmaras apprehending the future dangerous condition. So here what I was saying that Marjorie is thinking of the future. Marsh of Pritimaras apprehending the future dangerous condition of blind followers of demoniac imitators. Therefore ask this question. And fortunately it is recorded in Shuman Bhagavatam to warn innocent people that thinking of an ordinary man and thinking of Krishna are not the same. Actually, even thinking of the demigods cannot compare with thinking of Krishna. It is warned in Vaishnava Tantra that one who puts Vishnu and or Krishna on the same level as a demigod is called a Sunday or rascal. Krishna 
Shri Guruji Maharaj said, O sage, the yogis view Krishna only as their lover, not as the supreme absolute truth. So how can these girls, their minds caught up in the waves of the modes of nature, free themselves from material attachment? Just a little side on I'm not going to be reading other tikas, but you might want to look later at Sanatana Swami's Jivas because they give other ways of understanding this verse, particularly in terms of Guna and Brahman. Uh, particularly in terms of this um, guna dhyam, meditating on the gunas, and also be understood as meditating on Krishna's qualities. We're not going to do that right now. So, this touches on something that's very uh, dear to me, and that is the a series of speech that Krishna gives in Bhagavad Gita. So, does anyone know the five series of speech? So, truthfulness, pleasing. Beneficial. Regularly reciting the Vedic literature. Regularly reciting the Vedic literature and not agitating to others. Uh, Priyam is the message should be pleasing, not agitating to others, or the words should be pleasing. In modern society, people use very agitating words, don't they? A lot of personal words, emotionally agitating words. So, of those five, what's the most important? Truthful, you said. All right. But I remember one time seeing a mother with a newborn baby, and her baby looked like a little piglet. <laughs> and then she said, look at my cute little baby. So if I were truthful, I would have said, that baby looks like a little piglet. So what's the most important thing to find? Beneficial. 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 And we find, of course, that there's offenses involved with speaking truthful things that are not beneficial. Like one of the offenses is to preach the glories of the holy name to the faithless. In other words, you're speaking something truthful, but it's not appropriate. Right? And Jesus says something very similar. He says, don't, don't give what to what? Don't give pearls in front of the pigs. They'll just trample it. They'll just, they'll just crush them. And so there's appropriateness in, in speaking. And this needs to be understood both when we are preaching and when we're hearing the preaching of others. All right. So one should always consider one's audience. Now, the way Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur describes this is that Marsh Cricket is looking at the audience right there the other sages that are there. He's looking around, he's noticing. So he's not just absorbed in hearing from Sukhdev. He's also noticing, he's paying attention. And he's noticing other people look disturbed right now. And this is one of our duties as a teacher, whether we're speaking one-on-one or whether we're speaking to a large crowd. I've seen people give class with their eyes closed the whole time. You ever seen that? And sometimes we just like this the whole time. <laughs> but you want to notice, this is one of the difficulties we have with our Zoom preaching. You know, a lot of times people are just a black rectangle. I mean, you don't even know if they're there. Like, maybe they've gone outside and talked to their friends and not even there. But you want to notice, how are people responding? 
Many years ago in London, it was the appearance of Disappearance Day of Mother Victoria, and I spent, I don't know, at least a week preparing for that class, researching Mother Victoria's philosophy. And as I was speaking in class, within 10 minutes in, I could see everybody was like deer in the headlights. You know? I forget it, I'm not going to talk about Mother Victoria's philosophy, I'm talking about something else. So one has to engage one's present audience. But Shiva Prabhupada is saying that Maharaj Cricket was not just thinking of the present audience, he was thinking of future. Because the Bhagavatam is in writing. So here we are, 5,000 years later, hearing it. Now he can't see our faces, but we might be thinking, huh? How is that possible? So he's asking a question for both. And we have that situation, right? Like this class we're getting right now is being recorded. I'm recording it. It's being recorded on, on Facebook, on Mayapur TV. That means that people separated by space and time are going to be able to hear this class, right? I mean, one of the... It, it kind of shocked me when I first started traveling to go to places I'd never been and meet people who told me that they regularly listen to my classes. It's like, I don't even know you. And to remember that, you know, that this is going also, it's spreading in space and time. And this is true for anything that's written or anything that's recorded. And he's thinking in the future, somebody will just use this. And they'll say, well, the gopis thought about their power more in this part of Kiyabhav. So, you know, I'll start a Rasa dance. I'm also Brahmin. Krishna's Brahmin, I'm Brahmin. I'll start a Rasa dance with other people's wives, and they'll also become fully promoted in the general nature. So I thought I should ask this question for them. Hmm? So I was thinking about some examples. Today is the day she will probably arrive in America, and he, he wrote this poem to please make my words understandable. For, for these people covered by loads of passion and hands. And, and Shiva Prabhupada would present things according to the audience. Like he wrote that book, the first book I read of Shiva Prabhupada was Easy Journey to Other Planets. And he's talking about, you know, the anti-material particle. Trying to put things in, in terms that people can understand. And he's presenting things according to his audience. So those of us who regularly read Shula Prabhupada's books and regularly listen to Shula Prabhupada's classes and conversations, I'm sure you've noticed that there are many topics in Shula Prabhupada's books that he either never talks about in a lecture or only touches on. So he has far more, we could say, esoteric, intimate topics in his books that he discusses in his lectures. Right? Have you noticed that? That Prabhupada in his lectures generally, almost, almost always, is, is preaching on a more basic level than what he talks about in his books. Sometimes there's an exception. And then conversations are really geared toward the person. And Jayaraj Swami makes the point that conversations are the most tricky pramana because we can't see, 
you know, you may be looking at something in the room or outside, and it sounds like you're referencing the previous sentence, but you're not. You're actually referencing something else. For those of you who don't remember, the antecedents of your pronouns are not clear in a conversation. You know, when you're writing something, you, you make a point to clarify, but in speaking, we're often clarifying by where we look or where we point or what's happening in our environment. And the conversations are very tailored to particular people. By the same with letters. I remember one devotee giving a class saying, how Prabhupada told one devotee he would stop chanting 16 rounds. We'll just chant for one hour every morning before you go to work. And he said, well, chanting 16 rounds in an hour, you know, probably wasn't 16 rounds. And, and, and this devotee was presenting this as Prabhupada's like standard instruction for people who don't want to chant their rounds. But that same month, in another letter, Shiva Prabhupada wrote to a devotee who would stop chanting his rounds. Move into the ashram, give up everything else and chant 64 rounds a day, and I'm going to write a separate letter to the town president telling him that I want you to do this. And then I was thinking about Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Srila Prabhupada often gives him as an example of adjusting for the audience. That for people in general, what was he doing? Sankirtan. For people in general. And deep philosophy he's discussing with people like Sarvabhavadacharya. And when is he discussing details of rasa? With Ramanandura or Srodhanda. Of course, I, I make this point all the time. This is recorded in the Chaitanya Charitamrita and we're out of the airports giving these books to the public. I mean, that always strikes me as really good. That here's Sri Chaitanya who he's, he's leading these for the, like when you're reading right now, you're reading the um, Head of Panchami section, yes? Herapan, the end of Herapanchami, about the gopis and the different fathers. Yes, yes, and what you're reading there from the Herapanchami between Sri Rastakur and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a lot of things that are referenced in Ujjwalu money. And Ujjwalu money is, it's like the next step after Dr. Yasami to Sindhu. It's going into all of the, right, all of the different elements that make up rasa. The stimulants of the vibhavas, the uh, voluntary actions of the anubhavas, involuntary actions of the sattva bhavas, all the different waves of emotions of the achari bhavas, and all the varieties of relationships that uh, the gopis and the queens can have with Krishna. So this is a very elevated subject matter, and yet it's in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, which we're going out, I mean, I used to regularly go out and distribute it to people in Walmart. You know, think of your average Walmart shopper. We would distribute it to them. Right? Where do you work? Hmm? No. Where do you work? Food line? Yeah. So, when you're in food line, would you think that most people in the store could understand who's well money? No. But that's what we're giving them. 
You know, we're never in devotion without a published in 1969, so that's quite interesting. Of course, what Shiloh Prabhupada did in his books was he mixed rasa and tattva all the time. Yes, just like what I just read from Krishna book, where Prabhupada goes into this explanation how the soul is Brahman, the Krishna is Param Brahman, Krishna is God, Krishna is God. He's like sneaking at us all the time. Krishna is God, Krishna is God, Krishna is God. Whereas we look at a lot of the books of the Acharyas that were not really meant for public distribution. And they don't say that. You can read a whole book of Leela by one of our Acharyas that never anywhere in the book says that Krishna is God, isn't it? Like nowhere. And you can see that people will become confused. And then I was thinking about Krishna. Nice thing about Krishna every once in a while. But I was thinking about Krishna in, in regards to this. The way when Krishna speaks, when Krishna is giving instruction. Now, of course, when Krishna is giving instruction, in the way, the, one of the ways in which he uh, accounts for the audience is that his instructions is in layers. You think of like something layered, like the cabbage, maybe? Pulling off different layers. And so what it looks like, or coconut is a good example, so you've got the hard outer shell, and then you have the firm stuff of the coconut, and then you have the liquid of the coconut. And so it's understood differently by different people. And Krishna does this all the time. He does this in the words that are recorded in scripture, and he does it in his leelas. You know, we'll have some leela where, you know, Jatila comes and, and finds, finally finds this Radharani ready to worship the sun god, which is what she sent her to the forest to do, but it's, she's been there for hours and hours and hours. You know, well, how come we have to come home? Well, I couldn't find a priest, right? And Radharani shows up as a priest. And then, and Krishna shows up in disguise, and he's saying all these things, that Jatila is hearing one way, and Radharani and her friends are hearing another way. Yeah? So he's speaking simultaneously. You know, we talk about multitasking. Right? So he's speaking simultaneously on different levels to different people, and we find this when we read the Shastra ourselves. Isn't that a fact? You know, the first time I read Bhagavad Gita, I was a 17-year-old college student. And so I understood it at a particular level. And every time I read the Bhagavad Gita, I find more things there. Yes? Does that happen to everybody? It's not like, you know, oh yeah, I read that. Oh yeah, I remember that. There, there's something else packed in there. Something else packed in there. And that goes on forever. But Krishna also adjusts for a particular time, place, and circumstance. Like he's saying, you know, to Nanda Maharaj, no, you know, what can God do? Just worship your work. Right? That's rather extraordinary. That's not a general instruction. Or even different parts of the Bhagavad Gita. Where, you know, Arjuna keeps insisting, I, I don't want to fight, 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 I don't want to fight. All right, fine. Leave your family, go to a secluded place, put down a deer skin, stare at your nose, chant on. Right? Fine, do it. 
Sometimes we do this. Someone's really insisting to do something that we know isn't going to work for them. And we try to talk them out of it and it doesn't work. And finally we say, you know what? Oh, I think it's a really good idea. I don't you just always do it. Because we know that if they try it, they'll find it. But they're going to just try it on mentally. He said, uh, um, to I don't think this is going to work for me. He said, well, what happens if someone tries this and fails? Where's, what's their destination? Aren't they like a living cloud? So it's not that we're all meant to do that. It's not that all the Krishna gave that instruction that we're all meant to sit on deer skin and stare at our nose and eat the forest berries, and even though that's Krishna's instruction in a particular place. So that means not only should we be careful of our own preaching, how we're presenting Krishna consciousness to whom and where and under what circumstances, but we should also be careful when we're reading or hearing. And I wanted to reference one of our main hermeneutical tools, this is a Vedic hermeneutical tool, of asking four questions about anything that we hear or read. Because it's very, 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 very common that somebody will take one statement from Shiva Prabhupada or one statement in the scriptures and say, oh, that's it. That's absolutely true for everybody all the time. Like right now, I'm reading the ninth canto, which is all these really strange stories in the ninth canto. This one about this king, I forget his name. And he was asked to kill some demons. He said, I'll only do it if I can ride on Indra. Which Indra didn't like that idea. He said, I'm not going to carry anybody here. But he was persuaded. So, yeah, all right. So, Indra became the carrier. He took another form. I think he took the form of a bull. So this guy's riding on Indra, who looks like a bull, and he kills all these demons that he was asked to kill by a sage, can't remember the city. And then he took the demon's wealth and the demon's wives and gave them to Indra. So I'm reading this and I'm like, this is shocking. This is like totally shocking that he's taking these demons' wives and giving them to Indra. I was like, what? And there's no commentary, there's no nothing. You know, so someone we could read that and say, oh, you know, we're supposed to, to take the, the women as, you know, booty in a, in a military campaign. It's right there in the Bible. Or one of my favorites is where, where Prabhupada said that sannyas should be absolutely out of line. Because people like to take close of other things, Prabhupada says, should be absolutely outlawed. And you know, three months later, she probably initiated by the true song into something else. So people like to take these, these things. Right? And it, well, this, this is my cherry pick quote, and this is my cherry pick quote. But it, it, it's not the way it works, because the vast majority of the time, people are preaching with time, place, circumstance, and person in mind. There are some statements that are not like that. There are some statements that are meant for everybody, at all places, at all times, in all circumstances, always. Like, love God. That's always true. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what planet you're on, it doesn't matter what universe you're on, it, that's always true. But other things are adapted. All right, so these questions... 
First question. Who is it for? This statement, who is it for? What are the qualifications of the audience when the statement is being made? In scripture, by acharyas, by a guru. Next statement is what is it about? So the idea. The next question, what's the priority? What's the follow? What's the purpose? What is it trying to achieve? And the last question is Sambanda. How does it go about achieving what it's trying to achieve? What's the relationship between the subject of the text and the text itself? So I wanted to give some examples from our, our hermeneutics course. So one example I've already talked about is when Krishna is talking about worshiping work. So he says, because it is karma, this is Bhagavatam 10, 24, 17 to 18, because it is karma that causes the conditioned living entity to accept and then give up different high and low grade material bodies, this karma is his enemy friend and neutral witness, his spiritual master and controlling lord. Therefore, one should seriously worship work itself. A person should remain in the position corresponding to his nature and should perform his own deity. Indeed, that by which we may live nicely is really our worshipful deity. Alright, who is this spoken to? Nine Mars and the other coward men. So what's their icon? What's their qualifications? They're Vaishnavas. Are they ready to hear about Prima Bhakti? Are they qualified to hear about Prima Bhakti? Definitely. Right? But on the other hand, they have a position with Krishna in Yoga Maya, where they think Krishna is their kid. Their kid. Right? They think Krishna's their kid. So they have this kind of a little bit of simplicity because of this. Yeah? So what is this about? It's about worshiping Govardhana, right? Krishna's trying to get them to worship Govardhana. And why? What's, what's Krishna's purpose? Teach Indra a lesson. Huh? Teach Indra a lesson. I'm sorry? To teach Indra a lesson. To teach Indra a lesson, yes. To teach Indra a lesson, to stop demigod worship, and for them to see Govardhana as, as himself. So these are his purposes. Now, how does he go about teaching what he's teaching? So he's doing this in a very unusual way. He's denigrating the highest philosophy and instead teaching something, apparently teaching something atheistic. It's not direct teaching, it's indirect and, and hidden. So the relationship between the overall text of the Bhagavatam and these specific texts is also very unusual. Because Bhagavatam throws out old cheating religion. But at face value, these texts are promoting atheism. But the texts do lead to the highest purpose of the Bhagavatam because they bring the residents of Vrindavan directly into worship of Krishna and Govardhan Hill. So they're in accord with the teachings of the Bhagavatam while seeking to contradict it. I'm going to give one more example. This is from 8, 9, 9, and 10. The Supreme Personality of Godhead in the form of Rohini told the demons, 
Oh, sons of Kasyakamuni, I'm only a prostitute. How is it that you have so much faith in me? A learned person never puts faith in a woman. Oh, demons, as monkeys, jackals, and dogs are unsteady in their sexual relationships and want newer and newer friends every day. Women who live independently seek new friends daily. Friendship with such a woman is never permanent. This is the opinion of learned scholars. All right, who is her audience? The demons, what's their idea? What's their qualification? Ignorance. Ignorance. They're full of what qualities? Lust, Lust, anger, envy, greed, arrogance, deceit. What's it about? Cheating. Cheating. It's about the distribution of the nectar. So it's about the distribution of the nectar and the unsteadiness of unchaste women. So why? What's the purpose? She's trying to get the demons to do what? To her. To trust her. She's trying, it's interesting. She's paradoxically trying to get them to trust her. By saying, don't trust me, she's trying to get them to trust her. So how does it go about teaching what it's teaching? So this is also interesting. Rohini did intend to cheat the demons. That was her intention, was to cheat them. And she's revealing in truthfulness what she will do. She said, you can't trust me. I'm going to cheat you. However, it's presented so the demons will think it's sarcastic and trust her even more than they would have otherwise. It's teaching about the psychology of demoniac beings much more than teaching about the nature of women. Now, both of these examples that I've given are related to another hermeneutic tool. Some statements in Shastra are intentionally delusive or obscure, whereas others are direct. So whenever we're hearing or reading anything, we want to consider these four things. Who's the audience? What's their qualification? Right? What is their qualification? What is being said here? What's its ultimate purpose? And what's its method of teaching? Right? Then we can understand the actual import, the actual meaning. And there's going to be many. There's not going to be just, you know, I found the one meaning. Uh, Prabhupada said we should look at every verse from many, many angles of vision because there are many, 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 many. It, it's not just understood in one way. As I was saying, if you look at the tikas of Sanatana and Jiva, they analyze this verse in about five different ways. So you know, even if you're looking at just how you're going to translate a verse or how you're going to understand the direct meaning of the verse, that's going to be in many different ways. Now, of course, just briefly, I just want to be in tomorrow's class, but I just want to briefly say the question before us here is about tattva and rasa. That generally we think that in order to, you know, janma karma janma janma Generally we think one has to understand the tattva of Krishna in order to become liberated. But here, in this case, the gopis are not understanding, at least in this moment, 
they're not understanding the Tantra of Krishna. They're simply attached to Krishna as their lover, and that alone is liberating them. Because that is also sufficient. But generally, in our preaching, we want to also have people understand the Tantra. We risk having people make offenses if all we present is the rasa aspect of God. They'll think God is an ordinary man, or they'll think that he's licentious, or something like that. And therefore we find that Shiva Prabhupada does this interweaving of rasa and tattva. For those who already thoroughly understood tattva, that can recede to the background, and they can be just absorbed in rasa, like the gopis are. And, but to ordinary persons, it may seem, how is it possible that they can be liberated? So whenever we're, we're speaking, whether, whether we're speaking to us, one person, or whether we're speaking to thousands, whether we're looking at the present, whether it's something recorded or written that's going into future, to always think of what will be beneficial. How can I present things in such a way that people will actually make advancement in Christian consciousness and not commit offenses. And this is important whether you're writing something on social media, whether you're sitting in the Bhagavatam class. Sri Arjuna was saying that the media did on social media. You have no idea who the audience is when you're putting something out there. said, you know, you have to be so careful, you have no idea. It's going to the whole planet. And also how we understand uh, the words of the Supreme Lord and the words of the Acharyas. So questions, comments? Yes, Marsha. Isn't it tattva for the uh, gopis to consider Krishna Purusha and themselves as Prakriti? Sure. So you can't really say it's not tattva. I mean, if you look at it indirectly, it is tattva. Indirectly. Yeah. But specifically, Sudhir Goswami said they're not understanding that he's not. Yeah, I think they're understanding he's the Purusha. They can understand he's the Purusha. Which is tattva. Which is tattva. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry. No, people don't be sorry. It's, it's my hubris that I dare to speak in your presence about anything. I'm sorry. I just keep my mouth shut. Shilaprabhadeeja.